The test series is over, the final score India 3, South Africa 0. Today's Night Watchman cricketing podcast episode, as you can imagine, it makes for not the uh, most pretty of listening. Uh, Ken and myself take a good look at what went on in those uh, three tests overall as well as the numerous changes that were made for that third and final test which had absolutely no impact whatsoever in terms of affecting the outcome of the uh, the test match or the, ultimately the test series. We look at some of the few uh, successes in terms of performances in that last test match, the return of Hamza in the batting lineup and George Linder's uh, test debut where he clearly made an impact with the ball as, as well as with uh, the bat. We also reflect uh, with uh, Faf Duplessis from the post-match press conference where he talks about some of the limitations and some of the challenges that the team faced on this particular tour. It makes for disappointing listening. Uh, I'm sure you'd be aware if you're listening to this, um, it's going to be a difficult, uh, difficult listen. Um, but I think Ken in particular really starts to talk about some of the bigger picture that's emerging within South African cricket right now. Some of the challenges which are facing uh, the team as well as the whole administration of cricket. Where are we going? What does it mean? Well, I think these are some of the themes that we're going to pick up between now and the incoming England tour. Uh, It's certainly something we're looking forward to, the England series. This podcast was set up specifically with that series in mind as a real uh, opportunity for us as the listeners, supporters of South African cricket to get behind the team, have a discussion and really start to celebrate the the best of the pro tiers. And certainly that's something that's uh, hopefully uh, not so uh, far off in the distance. But certainly there are issues that need sorting. There are challenges in terms of skill sets, performance levels and the question of character. All of these are things that we're going to talk about in this episode of the Night Watchman Cricketing Podcast. So it's Wednesday evening. It's way beyond my bedtime, it feels. <laughs> but in spite of that, I've got Ken Borland on the line up in Johannesburg. Ken, how are you keeping, my friend? You well? Yeah, good, thanks, Feet. Obviously, a, a hectic few days with uh, everything that's been happening with the approaches and, and a lot of focus on domestic cricket as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess this too shall pass, as they say. This too shall pass. I'm sure there's a friend or two out there who've got a tattoo of that very saying on their arm, I think. Um, <laughs> and of all of, of, all of the, uh, the messages I've received this week, it's saying that we're really looking forward to hearing the new episode of The Night Watchman. And uh, I'm not sure if it's an exercise in masochism or of, of, of sheer hurt. Um, I, I want to be people up not for- tired of doom and gloom yet? Well, crikey, maybe we should swap this thing around to rugby and at least for the next couple of days we look forward to a semi-final. Let's let's not jinx jinx the Rugby World Cup just yet. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Ken, for the benefit of the listeners, I want to make it very clear. I saw absolutely less than nothing of the game that we're going to talk about. Um, Obviously, the reflections that we're going to touch upon now are based on your observations and what you've been watching over the last few weeks. Uh, Really, because of my travels, I've only seen that first test match and really been able to see what went down. Very little of the second test. And as I say, not a ball, in fact, of this third test. So a lot of what I'm going on today is about what I've read, what I have seen in terms of the scorecard, trying to draw uh, my own observations about where we're going. So, yeah, I want to be quite upfront, honest about that. On the one side, it might sound like a rant, but. I'm not uh, sure if you should be admitting that, Pete, but anyway. Well, you know, I think it's important that we're authentic on this show, you know. <laughs> 
But Ken, let's let's have a quick summary. I mean, in the, the last episode, the Naked Night Watchman, brought to you from Sheffield and Johannesburg, respectively, we talked towards the end about wholesale changes. Um, the idea that the team was going to have to really had nothing to lose in this third test, other than obviously the Test Championship points on offer, and that they should look at fairly wholesale changes. And by golly, we got uh, a whole handful of them. Not so. Well, Pete, you might have spoken about wholesale changes, but I, I think I was quite clear that I would only have made one or two changes. Um, you know, I think it's ironic that in the week leading up to the Test match, Pick in South Africa sent out a statement calling on the public not to panic, to be patient. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm afraid making five changes to your Test team smacks of panic for me. <laughs> so the Proteas obviously didn't get that memo. Uh, yeah, I mean, five changes, it, it's half a team. They, they yeah. only needed yeah. to make two changes, in fact. There were only two enforced changes with uh, the injuries to Keshav Maharaj and Aidan Markram. Uh, but, you know, they, they saw fit to, to make a, a few other changes as, as well, which, which really didn't add anything. And, uh, you know, the, the shuffling of the batting order, um, I think, has only confused issues even more. And, uh, you know, perhaps in a way they're fortunate that some of the guys they brought in didn't end up making hundreds um, because then you find yourself in a bit of a pickle for the next test series against England, exactly what to do. Well, well, let's conclude towards the end around who you expect we will see there, that first uh, Boxing Day test uh, at Centurion, because I, I get a sense that we're gonna, we may well see some faces not returning based on the performances that we've seen there in India, um, maybe within the coaching staff as much as the uh, the playing. But let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. What we see, Quinton de Kock comes in and opens up but doesn't keep Klaassen in. Uh, as you say, for clearly having to make a plan around the makeshift opener in Markram's uh, absence, yes? Yeah, but, uh, you know, to me, you don't mess around one of your best batsmen, uh, one of the few guys who has actually performed on in the series. Um, when a guy like Tennis De Bruyne has opened before, he, he can do that job. Look, I know he hasn't had a great series, and uh, certainly if Markram hadn't have uh, injured himself, then De Bruyne could well have, you know, should have should probably have expected to be dropped as as he was, but mm. you know I I would have rather seen, and I know there's been a lot of talk about the cock moving up the order, but surely the answer is to move him to four or five, not all the way up to open, and and as we saw, you know, uh, taking on the new ball with fresh bowlers uh, is a very different uh, kettle of fish to to batting down at six or seven. Sometimes you get the second new ball then, but then generally the bowlers are. Are not nearly as fresh, they've bowled 80 overs. So it's a very different kettle of fish. And, and Quinny got two tremendous deliveries in the test match that got him out, but it just seemed like a waste of, of you know, really one of our few informed batsmen uh, to move him up there. Well, there was certainly no, unfortunately, no scores of any significance from uh, Quinton going in at that uh, opening. Your thoughts on Klaassen coming in with the gloves, his glove work, was it, was it up to standard? Um, and obviously his scores uh, with the bat were extremely disappointing. Yeah, he, he was okay with the gloves. Nothing, um, you know, nothing particularly bad or or particularly good. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just think there was that's what one of the things that I think confuses the issue. One of the selections because are we really saying that Quinton de Kock is not going to be keeping wicket against England in in the next Test series? 
Are we seriously thinking of Dukak as an opening batsman against England? I doubt it. Mm. So, I mean, we could have got ourselves into a hell of a pickle if, if Henry Klaassen suddenly gets 100. Mm. So, you know, now you can't really chop him. So now you've got to drop someone else because you're obviously not going to leave Dukak out. So to me, it was, it was just a, a pointless selection, a one, one of those sort of one-off selections um, that doesn't really make much sense and, and doesn't really do the team much good. Well, I mean, what, what we did see um, was both Dane Pete coming back in and Lugi and Gidi uh, in the bowling uh, bowling department. Uh, let's talk about them before we talk about the two new guys coming in, um, specifically Hamza and George Linder, uh, who I thought actually from what, what I saw from the scorecard did very well in terms of their first outings there. But let's talk about Dane Pete, who really looked like he took a lot of tap, and then Gidi, who, let's be honest, looked like he was uh, ineffective. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't mind Dan Pete's selection because it, it brings the variety to, you know, as soon as you, yeah, yeah. All, all the other spinners on tour are, are left-arm spinners. So if you're going to play two spinners, fair enough, pick, pick your next best uh, off spinner, which is Dan Pete. Look, he, he got hammered again, unfortunately. Absolutely he, murdered by the looks of it, yeah. And he's, he's gone for nearly six and over through yeah, the series, yeah. 310 runs and 54 overs. So sure, yeah. fairly... Clearly, despite being the best spinner in franchise cricket last season, um, big question marks against his, his test future. So, Dan Pete, I, I don't have a problem with that selection, and, you know, he batted, he batted with guts again, so, so good for him. The Lungi and Gigi selection, though, to me, is, is just totally inexplicable, because Fafti Pussia has said many times during the series that, in terms of the fast bowlers, what they need, what they're looking for the guys to do, is to target the stumps. To bowl nice and straight, not to be going over the steps. Now, Lungi and Gidi is, is a wonderful fast bowler, but he's the hit the deck type of guy who's, who's, most of his wickets are going to come from guys being caught behind the wicket. Who does Lungi and Gidi replace? Vernon Philander. Probably the best wicket to wicket bowler South Africa <laughs> maybe ever had. Yeah. You know, there, there's no one who targets the stumps more than Vernon Philander, maybe in world cricket even. So, uh, I mean, just an inexplicable selection. And, and I know Vernon has only taken two wickets in 60 overs, but at least he was keeping things tight. For sure, yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, yeah. Ngidi went for over four and over. So there's a release of pressure there. So to me, that was just a, another totally unnecessary uh, change there. And, and of course, Philander um, batted extremely well. Uh, in the previous test as well, so that would have given us a stronger batting lineup as well. Just in terms of the last two changes, then Ken uh, Hamza comes in at three and does what looks like a very good job in the first dig, sixty odd runs, and George Linder in for Mutisami uh, takes takes a good number of wickets there in his in his first uh, first outing. Your your thoughts on their two contributions uh, in the batting and the bowling departments uh, respectively. Yeah, delighted for Zubair Hamza. He, he's the one change I, I definitely would have made uh, to the batting lineup, and uh, a, a wonderful first innings performance, scoring 62 yeah, uh, yeah. Under, under huge pressure. Looked very composed. Played the spinners well. Played the pacemen well. Really a, a, a fantastic knock by the youngster, and, and let's hope that he now gets a decent run uh, in the team, uh, filling that vital number three berth. Um, he just. Uh, 
the way he goes about his business just reminds me a little bit about Fashimamna. And, uh, you know, if Hamza can have, you know, a career even approaching the heights of Hashimamla, then, then we've got a really good uh, number three to, to look forward to in the future there. Uh, second innings, he made a duck, but he got a phenomenal delivery. Um, Dale Stade would have been proud of it. It was angled in and then uh, nipped away uh, to hit off stump. So that was a, a really special bit of bowling by Mohammed Shami, who, who really was outstanding uh, through the test match. Uh, George Linder, very impressed with his debut as well. Um, right. I thought he, I thought he bowled, I thought he bowled very nicely. Uh, not bad control. Um, and, and was rewarded with, with four wickets. And, uh, certainly just, um, ha- has pushed himself up the, up the picking order, I think, in terms of our, in terms of our spin bowlers. Um, to my mind, he's probably now our, our number two spinner behind Keshav Maharaj. And, mm-hmm. He could probably put, uh, you know, Kesh under a bit of pressure as well. And the well, other thing that Linda batted was uh, added was that he batted really well. Absolutely, you know, scored 64 runs in the test, um, and just showed a lot of uh, mental fortitude, composure, decent technique. So, you know, very useful when your when your second spinner uh, can also bat when it comes to balancing the side. Absolutely, absolutely. No, no. Interesting that both Dane Pete and him seem to play that role in in, in their respective uh, knocks. I think I think of Dane Pete in that first uh, first test, if I'm not mistaken, did well. Well, with the bat. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most damning indictments of the top order uh, is that the tail right through the series. Yeah. Actually, guys managed to hang around for a long time, uh, managed to score some decent runs. I, I think South Africa's. Ninth wicket uh, partnership average across the series was 52, uh, which is probably the highest uh, of any wicket. So that that's a pretty damning indictment of the top order. That uh, yeah. you know, tail enders were, were able to dig in and uh, perform quite well. Ken, it all starts uh, relatively well. I mean, no surprise we lose the the toss, even with the, the Timbers' uh, attendance, at the, which yes. I thought was looked looked like it was quite. Quite amusing, and clearly Faf with a bit of tongue-in-cheek there, uh, bringing him to the toss. But, I mean, we, we get three quick wickets, right? And, I mean, included amongst those uh, three is uh, Kohli and Agarwal. I mean, it's it's a great start, and then it's absolute carnage with Sharma going absolutely ballistic again. And in his innings of uh, of 200, if I'm not mistaken, scores the most sixes in a test series in history. I mean, really takes the game completely away, and here they are uh, racking up the runs where we never, we, we're just not going to be able to compete. Yeah, Kahisa uh, Rabada was absolutely outstanding up front uh, with the new ball, and I think that was one of the few positives for me from the series was that, you know, Rabada across the three tests really just seemed to get better and better. And uh, I know he only got seven wickets, an average of 40 in the series. Uh, but he was unlucky. Um, he was obviously fighting a lone battle with the ball. But it was good to see him actually just, you know, really come running in hard, um, showed a lot of skill. And so that's going to be encouraging if, if Rabada can build on that uh, for the home summer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Road Sharma was dropped early on. Uh, a sharp chance of George Linder um, at short legs, Bear Hamza. Uh, getting both hands to one, but but it went down, and and again it brings me back to one of my little pet topics, which is South Africa 
we don't seem to put much store in having specialist short leg fields. It's always mm, mm. the newest guy on the team, the guy with the, the least caps, and you go short leg. And, you know, we've seen so many times that that position is crucial. Absolutely. If, you, if you're going to have spinners operating, uh, a specialist short leg is so valuable. So, you know, Sharma had 30 probably at the time. Uh, if we had nicked him out, it would have been before lunch. India would have been four down at lunch. You know, a different game, maybe. Completely, perhaps. yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, South Africa's bowling, having, having been so good in the first session, the second session, they just released all the pressure. It, it was a poor second session by them. Um, and then they just couldn't pull things back. Uh, credit to India's batting. I mean, they, they batted with Absolutely. tremendous yeah. verve through the series. Um, they were very aggressive against the South African spinners, never allowed them to settle. But, I mean, the biggest thing is that India's batsmen went big. They weren't happy with 50s or 60s. Absolutely. In every test, someone scored a double 100, which is a, a fantastic effort uh, yeah. by them. So, yeah, all, all credit to India for a fantastic batting display uh, through the series. And uh, obviously, uh, South Africa's bowling reserves uh, are a cause for concern there. Well, I mean, the one thing that when you and I were deliberating on what was lying ahead in this tour and the excitement and real sense that this was going to be a chance for the pro tiers to build from uh, the team in transition, we talked about pitches, we talked about a whole range of things. I don't think for a moment that we had expected that in this third test that the uh, quick bowlers, Yadav and Charmi, would be the two guys who inflicted the most damage I mean, I, we talked about Boomer, and we were both quite, quite disappointed from a, from a neutral's point of view not to see him uh, in the series. We wanted to play against the best, and Boomer would have been part of that best equation. But we get blown away, it would seem, by Yadav and Shami. I never would have saw, seen that coming, Ken. This is supposed to be our strength, not so our ability to play play the quicks. Yeah, I, I think it's important to point out, though, that the main reason India have become the best side in the world over the last few years is exactly because of those fast bowlers, uh, because they can now compete all over the world. Mm. And they, they, I mean, I just shudder to think uh, how much worse the, the results might have been if Bumrah had been playing. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, there's a thought, wish, eh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, can, can, we can, it, a, can the answer yeah. is actually it, could, it couldn't have been worse. I mean, it really couldn't have <laughs> Look at the well, scores again. Look at the scores again. 90 all out in every innings, I guess. Mm. I don't know. But, uh, you know, Umish Yadav is a, is a fantastic bowler, though. And um, I was hugely impressed by Mohamed Shami. He he brought a bit of the Dale Stane to me. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen Dale Stane first hand in the subcontinent, that, that incredible spell in Nightmare, where, you know, there, there's no lessening of the pace, but he's getting the late reverse swing at pace, targeting the stumps, and uh, Mohamed Shami, to me, just produced performances that were reminiscent of that during the series, so he was absolutely fantastic, and um, yeah, obviously disappointing that South Africa's batsman, who raised on a diet of pace bowling, couldn't handle it, but I, I think by the third test, uh, they were mentally shot, really, so totally devoid of confidence, and you know, just about any quality bowler worth his salt was probably going to knock them over. In this clip from the post-match interviews, Faf Duplessis talks about that fatigue and its impact 
on the batting, the endless nature of the batting from the Indians, which obviously put the pressure back onto the South Africans when they turned to bat in the second knock in the three tests, having lost the, te- uh, the toss in all uh, of the three tests, it took its toll. Exceptional ruthlessness in the way that they put massive scores on the board. Um, and that's one of the reasons why mentally we were probably so weak towards the end. Um, it's just the, the relentless um, ruthlessness in the way that they put big totals on the board every time. They, obviously, they, yes, they did bat first every time, which made it a little bit easier, but they still put on 500, 500, 600. Um, and the scoreboard pressure, that, that, that the effect that it has on you mentally as a batting lineup. It takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of toll and that's why you could see towards the end our batting lineup was mentally weak. You don't want to be mentally weak, obviously you try as hard as you can, but the ruthlessness of them right through this series, you just feel like there's no there's no opportunity or no moment in the game when you can hide. You know, it's like constantly your body is tired, your mind is tired, um, and then you make mistakes. Um, that's what makes them such a powerful team, is the ruthlessness right now. Um, so that's where we were falling short of the batting. You know, obviously the first test, Dean and Quinny played great knocks. But after that, a lot of 50s, a lot of starts, and they didn't have that. They had huge, huge scores. And also from a fielding point of view, once again, it's tough to say, but I, I, they outfielded us. Um, the energy that they showed, um, complete, complete deep performance, and, and we were pl- outplayed in all of them. Ken, at the end of the day, uh, this has been a series for the statisticians. I mean, I've just when I was looking up and across the the, the web around reflections and for content here, I've seen comparisons. It was worst performance since uh, in terms of test series, in terms of losses by South Africa since 1930s. The most sixes we've talked about from uh, from uh, Rowett. Uh, I mean, what, what what are some of the statistical highlights and lowlights? Uh, and let's recognise, as you say, the achievement of India. Magnificent. I mean, truly, let's take our hat off to, that, to, to them as a team. Uh, what were some of the statistical highlights that you think that are going to be worth reflecting on at the end of not only this test match, but the test series as a whole in a 3-0 win to India? Well, first of all, congratulations to India. I mean, uh, I, thought, I thought they were magnificent through the series. You know, they... They really look like a team that is um, peaking. That they they um, they're not going to listen listen up at all. You know they want to be the best in the world. They want to be dominant. Like you know people talk about the great West Indies side of the seventies, eighties, the Australians, of course, nineteen nineties, two thousands. To an extent, the Proteas under Graham Smith, and uh, I think India want to be that sort of dominant side. So, you know, they were actually ruthless. And so credit to them because they could have taken their foot off the gas a bit, but they never did. Uh, that's now 11 successive uh, Test Series wins at home, a new world record. So that just shows their dominance at home. And, and they're also starting to rack up the, the wins away from home. So Absolutely. very Can impressive Indian side. Kenny, don't you think, I mean, that combination of Shastri uh, as their sort of team director, I'm not sure if to coach or what the, the title is, but I mean, Shastri is clearly the main mover behind the behind the scenes. And then Coley and his his driving that side, he, they, they seem like a very powerful combination. The two of them seem to work very well together. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, the thing about Virat Coley is that he's probably the most competitive sportsman I've, I've ever come across. 
uh, you know, all top level sportsmen are incredibly competitive. That's just the mm. nature, uh, the nature, nature of the beast. beast. But yeah. yeah, but Cody just takes it to another level. And you know, we've we, we've said it before. I think you and I privately, but thank goodness for Vivian Cody because he is so focused on Test cricket. He yeah, loves yeah, Test cricket so much um, that he is actually saving Test cricket. That he is actually keeping Test cricket on the pedestal where it belongs because he is so um, passionate about about that format. Uh, Ravi Shastri, you know, just uh, uh, so much cricket intelligence there. You know, a, a veteran international himself as a player. Absolutely. Uh, player. He then became Great a commentator, player. so he's travelled the world. Yeah, I know he's, he's one of your personal favourite speeds. So. Absolutely. <laughs> The personal yeah, favourite. It, 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 it is a tremendous combination, you know. So hopefully, uh, as South Africa tested, he passed around for a director of cricket. That's the sort of level of um, cricketing nas that, that we can find. Yeah. So back to the statistics. Sorry, that we digress. So back to the stats. Your thoughts on the highlights and lowlights? Yeah, well... I mean, the stats really don't lie in this in this instance. Uh, India got seven centuries in the series, three of them doubles, so a double That's century in this test match. You you yeah. you're always going to be tough to beat then. Uh, how many is this? Five of the guys averaged over seventy in the series with the bat. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, so that that's really outstanding, as you say. Um, in terms of the bowling, well. You know the wickets were really pretty evenly shared between the spinners and the and the pace bowlers because mm -hmm. when we shared over eleven, Muhammad Shami thirteen, Ishan Sharma two. He only played in the one. Uh, no, I beg your pardon. He played in two tests, but that is eleven, twenty-four, twenty-six wickets via the pace bowlers, and then Ashwin and Jadeja took fifteen and thirteen respectively, wow. and uh, Shabazz not even four in in just that third test. So that's. 32 wickets with spin. So, there, there, uh, there's, there's your there's your point there, Kenny, about how they've improved and become world beaters. Is that is that as last time it was? I mean, it was the spinners just decimating, and here we are, 60 wickets that fell from South Africa's side. And as you say, it's a pretty much a 50-50 split this time yeah. around. Big the big yeah. difference. Yeah, and and very decent pitches. I mean, we can't yeah. complain yeah. one bit about the pitches. No. <laughs> obviously, bad luck to lose all three tosses, but. Certainly, there can be no gripes about the pitches because there was enough enough in it for our pacemen to for sure. perform, but they were uh, sadly lacking. Next up, Faf reflects on the skill levels and the effectiveness of the Indian bowling, as well as some of the limitations of the South Africans. Yeah, spot on. Um, I thought the way the Indian seamers especially showed us um, as a South African fast bowling attack, how to bowl, speaks a lot of volume for the way that they bowled this series. Um, you know, the pace that they bowled, the consistency that they bowled, the skill that they showed, how fast us as a fast bowling attack. Um, and that there's learning for us in that, that when we play in the subcontinent, that our style of bowling is not successful. Um, you have to adapt your style to the style that is required. Just on, on South Africa's averages, just, well, obviously only two centuries in the series by Algrand Cock in the first first innings of the first test and it was downhill from there unfortunately because yeah. uh, of the other top order batsmen the only guys to pass 50 were 50 Hamza. twice Hamza. Yeah. but uh, he couldn't he couldn't go past 64 much to his own 
frustration, and then Hamza in the in the final test. So really an inadequate batting performance by South Africa, and and our bowling also. Well, just to touch on the batting, the only guys to average over forty were Senior and Muchisami, thanks to two not out, and and Dean Elga. So it was a really poor poor series batting wise. The bowling, yeah, just uh, totally ineffectual. I mean, of the frontline guys, the best average was Rabada at 40. So if your main strike bowler is going to be averaging 40, uh, you're not going to be winning too many test matches, unfortunately. And, and Or drawing them. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and, well, especially not with the, with, the, with the batting figures we put up. Um, and also of great concern was the way our spinners were, were manhandled. Uh, hit for so many sixes. Um, I think in two of the tests, the, the numbers of sixes were uh, were right up there with the most ever in in, in test history. So, sure. big big problems there for our spinners. So, if if part of it is the players on on the pitch, and we've talked about the changes that were made, we've tried, they've obviously tried and gone for broke, as you say. Some would call it panic. Others would say may, maybe there was nothing to lose in trying out the players who hadn't had a go. Um, but where, who do you think we won't see there at that first test at Supersport on Boxing Day? Um, we can expect great crowds, great excitement with England coming. But question first, do you think we'll see the same coaching staff? You've been very clear that you don't think that our batting coach who's helped us there will be part of the, the, that gig. Um, but how about Enoch Enkwe and your fears that you, know, you talked about right at the beginning around saying, if things go wrong, the obvious and immediate scapegoat could well be the, uh, the new upcoming uh, coach who arguably has been given the toughest, toughest gig there is. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been any type of Enoch Enkwe, no question about that. You know, South African cricket is really just an absolute state of limbo at the moment, because, and there's no doubt um, that that is affecting performance on the field, because it's so hard for the players to, to go out there and perform with confidence when there's so much uncertainty around everything that they do. Um, so, it, it all, Enoch and Kuwait's future really all depends on whether Cricket South Africa can find a director of cricket before the England series. Uh, they've said they're confident that they can, but you know they've said all, all sorts of and all manner of things over the last couple of years without without delivering. So I take that with a pinch of salt. And so you know we we can't have the appointment of the coach until we have the appointment of the director of cricket. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's there has to be a reasonable chance that uh, Enoch and Quay will still be in place um, mm. against England. It will still be an interim position. Uh, Corey Fonsell will still be the interim director of cricket, so it, it really is not ideal at all. I do see that Michael Vaughan, uh, cricketer again, uh, the highest respect for in terms of what he did with the England side, um, who is talking and bigging up uh, Jacques Cullis and uh, Graham Smith. We talked about Smithy in the last uh, episode at length, um, but you know, again, Michael Vaughan seems to be saying, you know, you need to be looking at some of your, your players of character to help and get in there and st- stuck into some of those um, uh, coaching coaching roles, or at least yeah, backroom absolutely. roles. Absolutely. No, no question about it. Look, uh, Shark Callis, arguably our greatest cricketer ever, um, 
I'm not sure he he wants to. You know, it doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't seem to be that, that that's his thing. But uh, perhaps yeah, he's wrong. loving his he's loving his golf too much at the moment. I don't know if he wants to <laughs> well, sacrifice that. But but I have heard Graham Smith's name mentioned. Uh, yeah, he, Said, yeah. a, a few times, and uh, I mean, I had a chat with Haroon Logat, the the former CEO mm. and former convener of selectors yesterday, um, and he was adamant that you know cricket South Africa have got to get guys like Graham Smith, Mark Boucher, uh, Ashwell Prince, John T. Rose, uh, you know those those sort of guys from that very successful era. Some of them have got to be involved now because they know what it takes at international level. And we are really at, 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 at a desperate time. So let's hope, first of all, Cricket South Africa have the good sense to approach them. But also let's hope that they make the roles attractive enough for these guys, that they give them the freedom they need. Because n- none, of the, none of those guys really need the jobs. I understand. No, so, yeah, I understand that completely. If, 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 if a Graham Smith's going to become director of cricket, it's going to be because he wants to do it for the good of South African cricket. Therefore, he's got to be given a certain amount of free reign. Understood. He's got, they've got to back him, and we can't have political interference you know, meddling with that high-performance role. So whether or not Cricket South Africa are willing to hand over that much control to a guy like Graham Smith and Mark Bouch is a similar sort of personality. That you know, these are guys that don't beat around the bush. They're sure. straight shooters, um, and if they want something, they're going to want to get it. Otherwise, they'll be out of there. Yeah, but Kenny, I guess I, guess, I mean those characters and the characters that we we all you know watched and loved. You know, whether it's them or whether it's you know somebody from overseas or wherever. The point that you're making is that they're going to be need to be given the opportunity to do it their way. And if there's going to be the interference, it doesn't matter who it is, the most strongest willed or the, the, the most calculated you know, and quiet from the, in the, in the back seat, is going to need to be given that leeway. Yeah, absolutely. And I just don't know if, if, if Cricket South Africa have the vision for that. In fact, I think they're in denial. I mean, you, you chat to their, their executive guys and, and they don't seem to understand that their cricketing knowledge is lacking. In comparison sure. to guys like Graham Smith, Sean Pollock, Shawnee uh, B, yeah. another guy we mentioned, Mark Boucher, Callis, Dante Rhodes. Just know, we, we've, we got, we've got enough of them, but there's legends, actually. Yeah, these, yeah, these yeah, are solid, solid guys. Yeah, and Neil McKenzie, you know, spoiled, they're, they're, spoiled for choice. You know, we, you know, not that long ago, the Proteas were far and away the number one side in the world, yeah. and yeah. we've just allowed that that intellectual property to to be wasted. You know, the, you. you, you you hear the Cricket South Africa CEO, Tabang Moreau, uh, say things like he wants to get involved in the style of play of the Proteus. He wants to get involved in the team culture. The man has never sat in an international change room. He's never sat in a first-class change room. What on earth has he got to offer in those conversations? And I'm afraid that's the level of denial and and just the level of pig-headedness that is there at the moment. So... You know, and unless that changes, um, I'm not very optimistic about about decent appointments being made. Well, let's let's go go on to the starting eleven then, Ken. Um, there's a few names I want to throw in there. 
uh, those who've been on the tour now, um, there's Bavuma, Temba. You talked about him right at the beginning, at the beginning of the, the series. We talked about his role uh, increased as the vice captain, how important a series this was for him to really establish. I, I, we haven't mentioned him once in the batting uh, terms um, of this last two tests, as I remember. Um, where to for September? Let's also talk maybe about uh, Rusty van der Dissen, who obviously hasn't been part of the uh, test makeup here. Do you think we'd see him come in? Uh, and then, you know, shoot, Ken, what, where do you think we're going? Who do you think we're going to see in that starting 11 come, come Super Sport? Well, first of all, the, the big problem, and, and again, it points to poor planning by Cricket South Africa, is that before the England series arrives, uh, starts, there is only one more round of four-day cricket to be played, and that starts on Monday. Right. So now the Proteus arrive back in South Africa early Friday morning. The only other four-day cricket that these guys, and many of them are playing for their places, can possibly play is starting on Monday. The next round of four-day cricket after that starts on December 19th. Wow. which is exactly Wait. a week yeah. before the start of the Boxing Day test. So, you know, the Proteus test squad would have to have been chosen. But they yeah. will probably go into camp uh, on the very day that that four-day round starts. So it means on Monday, I really the hope biggest. that the vast majority of the squad that was in India are determined enough to show that they are serious about turning things around, that they turn out for their franchises on Interesting. Monday. Interesting. Let's watch that space because what you're also saying, Kenny, is that by the end of next week, we can basically pick the starting 11, right? Well, we've got no other, we will have no yeah. other form the, the, to go because all of no, November yeah. into, no metric, into yeah. December 16th is Mzanzi Super League, T20 hit yeah. and giggle. So that's got no bearing on test cricket whatsoever. <laughs> too much laughing, yeah. Kenny, I tell you what, mate. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like that, that's a magic problem. Look, look we, we, can, we can presume that Aiden Markram won't be playing on Boxing Day uh, because he's injured and he just won't have time to get back in the team and he was probably going to be dropped anyway. So there's going to be a, a, a berth for an opening batsman. I, I can't believe the cock will continue opening. Uh, Reza Hendricks got a big 100 this weekend, so yeah, that's interesting. Reza will be in there with a Peter Malone of the Cobras has, has been batting well this season again. He, he of course, was in the test squad towards the end of last summer without without actually playing. So he must be in the picture. Uh, yeah, Rassi van der Dusen, unfortunately, hasn't quite managed to put up a, a big score uh, so far, and I think he's had three innings in the four-day competition. He is not out overnight, however, um, in Kimberley. So he might Watch just... Watch that space, uh, yeah. yeah. he might just... But Kenny, uh, if, you talk, down, if you're talking about... Marker. Kenny, if you're talking about character... I mean, I think we've talked a lot about Rassi and saying, you know, this guy seems to have what it takes. You talked very highly of him in his uh, World Cup uh, outing, one of the few sort of pluses in that otherwise forgettable campaign. I mean, is, is, is what we're looking for now less about, I know it sounds almost a contradiction in terms, but less about the numbers and the, and the technique than it is the character of getting stuck in and recognizing what this thing uh, that's coming. That's, you know, England aren't coming here to to roll over, right? Well, we England will be, England will be sniffing blood. England, England will be thinking he has a fantastic opportunity, you know, to, to whitewash South Africa on home soil. So, yeah, there, there's not going to be any mercy from England, that's for sure. Uh, 
Uh, you know, it, it's interesting you say that, I mentioned character, because that's pretty much exactly what Fatu Fusi said. Um, in India, after the end of the third test, uh, he said, you know, when you're going through a traumatic time like the protests are at the moment and they're in transition and they're rebuilding, he said characters is, is what he's looking at the most. So it's obviously first and foremost in his mind. Um, yeah, it's a rebuilding phase, you know, so the, a way forward necessarily when you go through real, real tough times like this um, is you start identifying characters that will, will drive the team forward. Um, you look for personalities within the team that you see in three, four, five, six years to come. And then the process starts, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough place to start right at the beginning. Obviously in a perfect world, you'll start somewhere in the middle, change one or two players, and that period takes a little bit shorter. But uh, the, the position that we find ourselves in now with a lot of experience out of the test team, um, that process will probably take a little bit longer. Um, so right now, it's, it's identifying the personnel that you believe in that's going to drive this team forward. As I said, the characters more more than anything else. When you go through e extreme hardships like this, in the hardships you'll still find guys that are, are up for up for test cricket, and that's why they call it test cricket because it's the hardest format of everything. So you need to be so strong mentally to to be at this level for a long period of time. Obviously, you get great players but they will come in and out if they're not strong enough mentally. So for me, our next journey now is trying to make sure that we get a lot stronger um, as, a, as a cricketing team mentally. Um, so if there's work that needs to be done in that department, then, then so be it. Um, as you can see, a tour like this reveals that there's a lot of um, mental scars that can happen, and then obviously it's difficult to come out of that hole. Um, we played our best match in the first match, and the consistent pressure that was on us made us weaker every test match that we played. Um, so therefore it tells me that we're not mentally strong enough as a team and that some work is required on that department. We've seen that the numbers guys are putting up at domestic level can't really be trusted. Yeah. Yeah. Dane Pete, yeah. 54 wickets, totally uh, out of his depth yeah, in, in India. Kenneth Debrain, Aidan Markram, both of them have been utterly dominant at franchise level with the bat, haven't been able to step up uh, on the subcontinent uh, in test level. Kemba Bavuma, very solid first-class record, very solid domestically, just can't seem to cut the mustard at test level. So it, it, it does look like maybe we should be looking at guys who can perform under pressure. Uh, we, we said it during the World Cup as well, that, you know, that that was the key sort of um, parameter now that we need to be looking at going forward. Well, perhaps one of the things we should be looking at in that stopgap between now and the England incoming uh, tour would be to have a chat then about where is our domestic cricket. Um, after this round of, of matches, perhaps we, we, we review what's what's gone down, some of the performers that were maybe the outliers. Um, you've mentioned a, a handful just now, but maybe go into a bit more detail. I'm guessing from a bowling point of view, the Rabadas, the Vernons, the Engidis almost takes care of itself. We've seen Nokia come in uh, and be tried out. So I mean, let's assume that uh, Keshav is, is uh, ready to, to go and, and, and be our lead spinner again. I'm guessing the, the bowling we won't. We're not expecting any big shakes in the ch or change ups there. You're, you, uh, do you want to confirm that in your mind, Ken, or am I maybe going to be surprised? 
No, no, I think, I think you're spot on. I mean, R- Rabada has, has shown that he's still our best fast bowler. So uh, he's one guy that I would probably rest uh, sure, from, sure. from Monday's round of four-day games. He's obviously waiting to get all of uh, Mr. Stokes again, yeah? <laughs> the two of them seem to have a, a nice yeah. love, love affair going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, KG tried very hard in India, and I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure that a break will do him good, and I'm, and I'm yep. sure he'll be fired up and and very keen to do extremely well against India, uh, against England rather. Sorry, Vernon sure. uh, uh, Fernanda, I, I can't imagine him not playing in the series <laughs> against England, good. and uh, it, it will be interesting, I think, to see if Lungi and Gidi is still the third uh, the third seamer. Um, I get the feeling that with his fitness worries, his position is now starting to become a bit under pressure. Right. Henrik Nokia, um, inexperienced on the subcontinent, didn't have a great time there. But uh, he's, got, he's got genuine gas. And, you know, if, he, if he's in good nick, uh, I'm sure he'll be in the test squad for, for England anyway, as the reserve paceman. But, uh, you know, if, he, if he's bowling well and, and is in good nick, he could just sneak in ahead of Ngidi, I think, uh, possibly. Uh, apart from that... Not too many other fast bowlers at domestic level really, uh, really sticking up their hands at the moment. Well, I think there you go, Ken. We let's see where the future of the board and those appointments in the coaching staff that you talked about, which obviously is so important. Well, as I said, the coaching—it's that backroom uh, setup. Um, the, the 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 batting, we clearly need some uh, surety there, and let, let's keep our eyes on, uh, for example. Uh, the uh, Rusty van der Dissen, as you say, not out um, going into to tomorrow's game. And let's pick it up in the next few weeks before the England start building up that tour. Uh, the players to look out for from England's side. We've clearly got an, a, a hugely exciting tour. We, I guess we have to put behind us this disappointment in India. Uh, right at the outset, you'd said we just must be, we must compete. We haven't. Uh, so all we can do now is move on and get ready for, for England. Yeah, but, but I think the good thing maybe about this Indian disaster is that it has really caused a lot of focus and a lot of attention and a lot of discussion and debate uh, to be around our domestic structure. Because to me, that that's the biggest thing, is that, sure, we, we lost five fantastic cricketers, very hard to replace, uh, well, four of them actually. Yeah, there'd, there'd be four major ones: De Villiers, Amla, Stain, Mourne, Morkel. Um, incredibly difficult to replace those guys. All teams go through these sort of cyclical times, and and you have a bit of pain after greats greats of the game retire like that, especially so so close together. But the alarming thing has been that the players who have come in, who are clearly next best because they've been so dominant at franchise level, that it doesn't look like 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 they're up to scratch at international level, which says that our domestic franchise system isn't preparing them properly uh, for what they're going to find at international level. So excellent that we're now having a, a really vigorous debate. Uh, well, you know, cricket lovers and cricket fans in South Africa are. I hope Cricket South Africa in their boardrooms are, are having similarly uh, vigorous debates about our domestic structures because that's something we really need to get right. Well, Ken, let's pick up on that as our next. Uh, that's in our next theme, as I say, in the in that gap between now and the England arrival. 
for the time being, thanks so much. Travel safely tomorrow. I think you're off to Poch, you said, to catch up the game with the game there? Yeah, there, there's going to be a very exciting announcement uh, for women's cricket in South Africa. Uh, earlier this week, we had uh, Hollywood Bets announcing that they're going to be the title sponsor of the KZN women's team. Uh, so that's a first in South African cricket. That, Fantastic. Uh, a women's franchise team having a proper dedicated sponsor. And that is uh, good news. North Northwest tomorrow are going to have a very similar announcement as well. So that is very good news because, uh, you know, our, our women's protests are also, I, I believe, in a bit of a transitional period, uh, even though their results haven't been as bad as the men. Well, again, maybe that's another point we should pick up on properly in that next episode is where, where, the, where the women's team are, how, they, how they're faring, uh, what can we expect from them going in towards that back end of the, the uh, 2019 uh, year and what faces them in 2020. For the time being, Ken, travel safely. Thanks for your time as always and look after yourself. Thanks very, very much, Pete, and you too, mate.